Hi, this is Bill Federer, and I thought we would talk about Valley Forge and what led up to it. Well, George Washington lost the Battle of Brandywine outside of Philadelphia on September 11th, 1777. And this caused him to have to retreat and abandon Philadelphia. Well, at near the same time, you had another battle scenario going on. British General Johnny Burgoyne had a plan that he would come down from Canada, down the Hudson River Valley, Lake Champlain, toward Albany, New York, and a British Brigadier General Barry St. Ledger would come from the west toward Albany, up the Mohawk River Valley, and British General William Howe would come up north from New York City, up the Hudson River Valley, all coming together at Albany, New York. This would split America in half, with the uh, eastern colonies on the east and then the middle southern colonies on the west, and it didn't work. Why? Well, the uh, troops under Barry uh, St. Ledger, they were in a bloody, bloody battle of Oriskany near the American Fort Stanwix, and the British were closing in for the final kill when there was a thunderstorm. That was so torrential, it bought the Americans an hour worth of time where they could recruit, excuse me, regroup, retreat, and then uh, survive. And then another interesting thing, British General William Howe did not come up from New York City. What happened? Well, he did not want Burgoyne to get the glory for winning the revolution. And so he abandoned the plan without telling British General Johnny Burgoyne. And there was rivalry among the British generals. Uh, they didn't get their position out of merit. They got it because they were politically connected to the royal family and so forth. Uh, America was different. We would promote based on merit. And that was the case up until recently, where we've switched to now promotion is not based on merit. It's based on your intersectionality how woke you are. If you are of a certain skin color or sexual gender, uh, then you get promoted. And if you're not, no matter if you're the best soldier, if you're the wrong skin color or sexual uh, type, then you don't get promoted. Well, anyway, the British, they didn't promote based on merit. It was based on connections. And so there was this rivalry. And so British General William Howe decides to take his entire army and sail toward Philadelphia. And so why is this important? Well, the European mindset was if there's a war and you capture your enemy's capital, the war is over. And so if you were to capture Paris or Berlin or whatever, and of course this frustrated Napoleon because he captured Moscow and the Russians didn't surrender. They just evacuated and left him alone in the city for you know a couple of months. But, uh, so this British general, William Howe, captures Philadelphia, and he thinks the war is over, but it's not. The Continental Congress simply simply leaves Philadelphia and sets up somewhere else. Uh, it's sort of interesting. One of their last notes was to George Washington, and it said, until Congress shall otherwise order, General Washington shall be possessed of full power to order and direct all things relative to the operations of the war. 
So it's almost like um, last one out turns off the lights. It's like uh, we're leaving Philadelphia. George, you're in charge of the whole thing. And so the whole entire revolution is resting on George Washington's shoulders. Uh, the Americans even take the Liberty Bell out of Philadelphia. Why? Because the British were notorious for melting church bells down into musket balls and firing them at us. And so you had the British in Philadelphia, and Washington has to set up camp about 25 miles away, basically a day's march. And the uh, British were uh, chasing after Washington, and they almost got him which would have been devastating. But there was the Battle of the Clouds, another torrential rainfall that drenched the gunpowder on both sides and the British had to stop their pursuit. So here's Washington. He sets up camp, Valley Forge, December 19th, 1777. Now to give a little scenario of what's happening at this time, Washington has 11,000 troops. There's another 11,000 troops that were captured by the British and put on starving ships. So when we would capture people, like after the Battle of Trenton, where George Washington crosses the Delaware on Christmas Day evening of 1776, pictures takes the captured troops across the Delaware River, and basically on their promise not to fight America again, he lets them go uh, because we didn't have enough troops to spare to guard them all. But it was this sort of word of honor. Well, the British were not like that. When they captured the Americans, they would put them in prisons. When they filled up, they would turn churches and schools into prisons. When they filled up, they would put them on ships sitting in the harbor. And the Scorpion ship, another called the Hope, Falmouth, Stromble, Hunter, and the Jersey. And the Americans would starve and then get diseases and then die by the thousands. One was the ship Jersey in the New York Harbor. It was 1783, May 8th, that Ezra Stiles, the president of Yale, says, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep for the thousands of our brethren that have perished in prison ships, in one of which the Jersey, then lying in New York, perished above 11,000 in the last three years, while others have been barbarously exiled to the East Indies for life. So this is sort of like capturing people and just sticking them in a cell. And like the January 6th people, they're just sitting in the cell for years. And so the prison ship's martyr monument is set up there in New York, Fort Greene Park in the New York City borough of Brooklyn. So Valley Forge, you have the uh, troops are from every state of the Union. Uh, they're as young as 12, they're as old as 60. And they're of all races. There were African-American troops. There were American Indian troops. And among them were Marquis de Lafayette, a young 19-year-old French royalty that, in disobedience to the French king, gets buys a boat, gets a bunch of the military people, and comes over just to join Washington for no other purpose than to fight for liberty. Marquis de Lafayette. Also with Mad Anthony Wayne, a general, his name was so popular that it was the switch name for John Wayne and then Bruce Wayne uh, 
who was the comic Batman story uh, that was made up, obviously. But in the first edition of that uh, comic, they say how he borrowed the name from Mad Anthony Wayne, the American Revolutionary General. At the battle uh, there at Valley Forge, the winter, was Chief Justice John Marshall, obviously, when he was young. There was a Lutheran pastor named uh, John Peter Muhlenberg, a pastor who became a general, and his statue was in the U.S. Capitol Statuary Hall. And then George Washington's Jewish physician, Dr. Philip Moses Russell. They're all there at Valley Forge. And they lacked food. They lacked supplies. They died at the rate of 12 per day. In total, 2,500 froze to death in the bitter cold or perished from hunger, typhoid, jaundice, dysentery, pneumonia. We've had some freezing winters recently. And imagine being out there in the woods and all they had to do was chop some trees down and make a little lean-to. And they're out there shivering with a little fire. And um, so they didn't have a support group with our military. It was thrown together very quickly. And so who were the support? It was the women. And so about 500 women died at Valley Forge. The women were the ones who followed the troops, took care of the wounded, scavenged for food, sewed the uniforms, sewed the blankets. They did all of the stuff other than fighting. Even Molly Pitcher would carry a pitcher of water around during the dugouts in the battle. A committee from Congress went to report at Valley Forge and found feet and legs froze till they became black. It was often necessary to amputate them. And so President Calvin Coolidge gave a talk to the Daughters of the American Revolution. He said, we've been told of the unselfish devotion of the women who gave their own warm garments to fashion clothing for the suffering Continental Army during the bitter winter at Valley Forge. The burdens of the war were not all borne by men. And uh, there was a surgeon there named Dr. Albigence Waldo, and he wrote in his diary, December 25th, Christmas, we are still in tents when ought to be in huts. The poor, sick, suffered much in tents this cold winter, but we now treat them differently from what they used to be at home under the inspection of old women and Dr. Bolus Linktus. We gave them mutton and grog. Grog was rum mixed with lime thought it was a healthy drink, and other different medical treatments. So two days before Christmas, George Washington writes, we have this day no less than 2,873 men in camp unfit for duty because they are barefoot or otherwise naked. Unless, and their clothes would get wet, the sewn threads would come loose, the sleeve would fall off, the sole of the shoe would come off. Unless, Washington writes, unless there is some great and capital change suddenly that takes place, the army must inevitably starve, dissolve, or disperse in order to obtain substance in the best manner they can. Well, on top of all this, you have the Conway Cabal. What's that? You have people on the inside, sort of a deep state, wanting to get rid of George Washington. And they were wanting to replace him with General Horatio Gates, who was the general who helped win the Battle of Saratoga. And so this Conway Cabal, named after somebody named Thomas Conway, who Washington had passed up for a promotion, uh, it had gotten so many people involved that they were 
plotting behind Washington's back. And so if you can imagine being a leader and having uh, a vice president or a Department of Justice or Secretary of State uh, stay stabbing you in the back. So an anonymous letter was written to Virginia Governor Patrick Henry. And they were wanting to enlist him in the war. He was the first governor of Virginia after they chased out the British, Patrick Henry. But Patrick Henry was a friend of George Washington. So he takes that very letter and puts it in his letter and sends it to George Washington saying, look, there's some people plotting to get rid of you. And Maryland delegate to the Continental Congress was Charles Carroll, the only Catholic to sign the declaration. He was instrumental in putting his foot down, persuading Congress not to replace George Washington as commander in chief. So here we are, Valley Forge, Washington's men, uh, starving, uh, an insider coup trying to get rid of him. A British uh, had, the British had hired Germans and they were the Hessians. And they had a major Carl Leopold Baumeister. And he writes, the only thing that kept the American army from disintegrating was their spirit of liberty. It's like, why are they still there? A farmer reportedly saw, saw George Washington kneeling in prayer in the snow. Ronald Reagan stated in 1983, the image of George Washington kneeling in prayer in the snow is one of the most famous in American history. There was even a Boy Scout handbook, 1948, and it says, you worship God regularly with your family in your church or synagogue, faithfully to God's uh, almighty God's commandments. Most great men in history have been men of deep religious faith. Washington knelt in the snow to pray at Valley Forge. So here we are. Um, even Eisenhower in 1954 gave a back to God address to the American Legion. He says, we remember the picture of the father of our country on his knees at Valley Forge, seeking divine guidance in the cold gloom of a bitter winter. Thus, Washington gained strength to lead to independence, a nation dedicated to the belief that each of us is divinely endowed with indestructible rights. General Washington writes to Lieutenant Colonel John Bannister, April 21st, 1778. This is the next spring. He says, no history can furnish an instance of an army suffering such uncommon hardships as ours has done and bearing them with the same patience and fortitude. To see men without clothes to cover their nakedness, to see them uh, without blankets to lay on, without shoes by which their marches might be traced by the blood from their feet and almost as often without provisions, marching through frost and snow and at Christmas, taking up their winter quarters within a day's march of the enemy without a house or a hut to cover them. Washington goes on, and submitting to it without a murmur is a mark of patience and obedience, which, in my opinion, can scarce be paralleled. Washington sent a desperate plea to Virginia Governor Patrick Henry. He said, for several days, we've experienced little less than a famine in camp and have much to cause to dread a general mutiny and dispersion. From every appearance there has been heretofore so astonishing and deficiency in providing that unless the most vigorous and effectual measures are once everywhere adopted, we shall not be able to make another campaign. In other words, the war is over uh, unless we can get some food and supplies. Outraged, Patrick Henry writes to the Continental Congress. He says, I am really shocked at the management of Congress. So he's upset. They begin to do an investigation. What's going on? Well, 
the quartermaster of the Continental Army, the one that's supposed to be getting supplies, is General Thomas Mifflin. And he was caught up in the Conway Cabal. He did not like George Washington. And there's evidence that he was either incompetent or, as some allege, waylaying supplies intentionally, keeping them from going to Valley Forge, maybe even putting them in warehouses to be sold to the highest bidder because he wanted Washington to fail so that they could replace him with this other general. When confronted, Mifflin resigned. Washington then chose a new quartermaster general, Nathaniel Green, and he did good. Within a few days, Valley Forge had clothing and food and supplies, um, and uh, they were back <laughs> into fighting the war. Uh, now, the spirit of the troops. Uh, this was Christmas time of 1777 and then early 1778, and one of the most popular Christmas carols at that time was God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. And it was written in 1760, and it was called the New Christmas Carol, and it was very popular in England and then in American colonies. So they probably would have sang it there at Valley Forge, and it goes on, God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay, for Jesus Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. Well, in the, the next spring was finally when uh, help came. It was a Prussian drill master named Baron Friedrich von Steuben. And Prussia is a kingdom in Germany. And they were known for having the, the best trained troops in Europe. And the king there was Frederick the Great. And so here's Baron von Steuben with the recommendation from Ben Franklin. He shows up at George Washington's camp there at Valley Forge, and he helps to train the soldiers so the next spring they could actually be a, an army. And then uh, a, a final thought, um, the Lutheran, the founder of the Lutheran Church in America was Henry Muhlenberg, whose son, John Peter, became a pastor and then became a general and was there at Valley Forge. Uh, and then another son, Frederick Muhlenberg, becomes the first speaker of the house. But Lutheran pastor Henry Muhlenberg, he writes a notebook of a colonial clergyman. And he talks about Valley Forge. And he said, I heard a fine example today, namely that His Excellency George Washington rode around among his army yesterday and admonished each to fear God, to put away wickedness, and to practice Christian virtues. From all appearances, General Washington does not belong to the so-called world of society, for he respects God's word, believes in the atonement through Christ, and bears himself with humility and gentleness. Therefore, the Lord God has also singularly, yea, marvelously preserved him from harm in the midst of countless perils, ambuscades, fatigues, etc., and has hitherto graciously held him in his hand as a chosen vessel." Well, the army made it through Valley Forge, and one of the orders the next spring George Washington gave to his men, to the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to laud the more distinguished character of Christian. So when we go through problems, we can remember those that fought to give us this country, and they made it through, we can make it through. Uh, Herbert Hoover, during the Great Depression, gave an address May 30th, 1931. 
He says, if by the grace of God, we stand steadfast in our great tradition through this time of stress, we shall ensure that we and our sons and daughters shall see the fruits increase manyfold. If those few thousand men endured that long winter of privation and suffering at Valley Forge, held their countrymen to the faith, and by that holding held fast the freedom of America, what right have we to be of little faith? They made it through. We can make it through by trusting in the Lord. Thank you for taking time today. God bless. Thank you.